Do you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach? Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. They tried to colonize us, tried to genocide us, yet we're still here with the tongue unbroken. Atlein gönnt Chicho ist der Katjohan Suha Kakiwa Ayak. Wek kodnet kwakut kawayiktach. Thank you everyone for joining us. The sun has broken on us again, the daylight has broken upon us again. Although there might be an alien presence coming around. So today we are going to be talking about prey. The fifth installment of the Predator series and the greatest Predator film ever made. Don't come at me because you will be destroyed. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, we are going to be joined by Dr. Kate Piwinovkit Briner, the Comanche Nation's Director of Language Planning and Development, to talk about this film. And we are also going to be joined by Joey Clift, writer, performer, comedian, Enrolled Kalis Indian tribal member who's living in Los Angeles. I'm so thankful that they joined us for this interview, this special prey, predator, fry bread, taco episode where we're going to talk about this film. Now, you need to know right off the bat if you have not seen this film, shame will walk upon you. However, you could hit pause. You could run watch it, take a run back, and we could talk about this film. It's amazing. It's incredible. So, we're going to jump into these conversations. And before we do, I want to make one slight correction to last week's episode, episode Deich with Dr. Saul Neely, the Alaska Native Land Claims Settlement Act, which we call ANCSA, 
Uh, if you could say Anska, then that's a funky dialect, but hey, go ahead, go ahead. The Alaska Native Land Claim Settlement Act is an important piece of legislation. I believe I said it involved about a billion dollars and 11 million acres of land when it is 44 million acres of land. So, you angsa purists out there, I do apologize. I'm not sure why I said that number. Uh, I teach classes about angsa. And, uh, anyways, I have in the past. So, I'm so happy to present these two conversations with you. Uh, I will be, we'll put them together back to back and then come back, check in, close it up. Again, we will be telling you all kinds of stuff that happens in this film, so... Don't freak out if you hear some stuff and you're like, I wanted to be surprised by the plot structure of this film. But it shouldn't surprise you. What should surprise you, or what should impress you, and what blew me away, is the incredible performances, the authenticity, the fact that we have a native film that that features indigenous people peoples at the front and having their language and having an overdubbed one in their language. Incredible stuff. So, we're going to jump into the first interview. Then there'll be a little commercial break. Probably just go straight to the commercial. Come back. Interview number two. And we're back to rap. Shawad nay connachwech to yak a dot. Auntie Doc, Pee Nafkit, Kate Briner. I'm so happy that you're joining us to talk about the film Prey and about the Comanche language. So, would you introduce yourself to our listeners? Ha. Maraweka, Nananiatsa, Kate Pee Nafkit Briner, Nanamananiatsa, Yanavia, Nese Namawaipa. Hello, everybody. My name is Kate Pewinafkit-Briner. Uh, I live in uh, Lawton, Oklahoma, and I live on my homelands of the Kiowa, Comanche, and Apache people. Uh, and I, I grew up in Fort Worth, uh, which is only two two hours away, but it seems like a world away from from our reservation boundaries. And um, and I'm glad to be here. Good cheese. Uh, I have been a fan of your work since we met. I think during like a, what was it the Natives for Linguistics conferences mm-hmm. that we were going to probably five or six years ago. Uh, and then following you on social media, and then uh, when this film, when I first heard about this film, my first thought was, I bet you had something <laughs> to do with some of the things that went on here. So could you talk to us about what your role was and what the experience was um, being a part of this? Sure. Uh, so the only thing I didn't say a minute ago was that I am the, it's a long title, Director of Language Planning and Development for the Comanche Nation. And um, 
that's been a long journey. Uh, we are now out of the planning stages, uh, doing implementation for our 10-year plan that aligns with the UN Declaration of uh, Indigenous Languages, Declaration of the Decade of Indigenous Languages. Uh, so we have a Declaration of Comanche Language and Culture. Um, and uh, this opportunity came about because uh, there was a previous producer named Juanita Pataponi uh, and uh, Dustin Tomacara as well, who were producers for, uh, at the time it was titled Skulls. Um, and uh, unfortunately, uh, during COVID, Juanita, uh, who I consider an auntie, um, passed away, gosh, this August, it'll be two years ago now. Um, so, you know, fortunately it wasn't COVID, uh, but it was a situation where uh, she went into the hospital uh, and probably waited a little too long because of COVID. Uh, so, you know, she was involved and then Jane Myers took over. And so uh, Jane was very adamant about culture, about language, um, being uh, really true, being a true representation of our people. Um, and originally they wanted to film the entire film in Comanche. Uh, and, uh, we weren't able to, as a language department, uh, our, our mission is to service the needs of our tribal members. And, uh, so it, it was going to be too time intensive for us to be involved at that point. And so they had decided to move forward with an English version with a couple of Comanche phrases, words. Um, and then, uh, we had the opportunity once we were in post-production to do the Comanche dub. Wow. Incredible. Uh, the film is Prey. You can find it on Hulu. You need to watch it if you haven't seen it. It's the greatest film I've seen this year. Uh, it's so impactful just to have Native American people at the center, to have Native American storytelling that doesn't fall into the typical sort of categories that we see. You know, they got to fight the predator, and they do. Uh, and so it's so exciting. I'm so happy to hear about your work and the the stuff that you're doing and, and very sorry to hear about the losses in your community. I know firsthand what it's like to lose, you know, it's like a whole library burns down when you lose someone who is so wonderful and especially when they're elders or birth speakers and it's such a hard thing to recover from and to, to know what you lose. But uh, coming back to uh, the film. So we're going to talk about the film for a little bit, and then sure. we're going to transition and talk about your work and, and what you folks are doing there. It's very exciting. I'm so happy to hear about all the good things that are going on. Uh, but I guess let's start with uh, this. Like, So how how does the film stay authentic to being Comanche and still reach wide audiences? Wow, that's a big question. Um... You know, we Comanche people have been a staple in the Western for a long time. And I think that this this was that opportunity to just show us as a real people uh, who are vital, who are invested in what they're doing. And um, just that that portrayal of of real people who aren't, you know, speaking uh like a pigeon or, and like how, uh, 
you know, it's like it's being just being full fleshed people. Um, Jane Myers, uh, you know, again, going back to this, this feeling of being adamant about stuff. Uh, so even when they were doing the costumes, uh, they had the, the buckskin with the, the earth pigments, they had the, what we call the Comanche green. Um, if you'll notice that on, on Naru, uh, the main character, uh, the, the hand rolled a fringe on her, uh, leggings, uh, you know, just those type of touches, I think, were really important in the film. Uh, we were laughing because they came and did a screener. Uh, it was probably in April. And uh, the only one, one of the things, first thing that people noticed is that our, our TPs, our Kani, are always facing east. And in the film, they're not facing east. Oh, I see. <laughs> so, Turn those things around. Yeah. So, you know, they're still... I mean, there's still little things, of course, but um, it was a really impressive attempt to showcase Comanche culture um, and then even using those isolated language, uh, those isolated words in the English version, which some people thought was a little weird. But I think it, it's good to like some people need a stepping stone. Um, and so maybe that was a good introduction to to some of the language, whereas they would have been overwhelmed with the Comanche dub. Yeah, and, and I was so excited that there were seemed to be chunks that weren't translated and that were whole phrases, right? Like whole communications that were happening in Comanche, but just based on what was going on, I could figure out approximately what they were probably saying. And I'm really excited about the Comanche dub, dub version, and I'm going to, now that I've watched it uh, in English, <laughs> because I don't speak Comanche, mm-hmm. unfortunately. Now I'm going to watch it with the Comanche dub, and I'm so excited to to see that and to to hear more about that experience. Uh, but one of the things that I really love about this film is that you have a female Native American character who is experiencing some uh, some misogyny from her own people, and then encounters uh, this ornate, this alien, and then encounters some. Uh, some some French trappers, which I'm sure we'll get to. We're not going to start with them, but we'll get to them. Uh, but like, for me, having a female character who, like, relying on her own strength and power mm-hmm. becomes victorious uh, was so satisfying for me because that's typically not the narrative. And so I was really happy to see that. And um, what are your thoughts? Ooh, uh, so... When the first little tidbits came out about Skull, the character was named Gay, which means no. And it seemed a little funny because they, you know, they were saying it it's a woman going against gender norms and all the of course all the Comanche people are saying, but our women didn't have that issue. <laughs> um so well, I mean, I do think that there were women who had uh, they probably did deal with misogyny. They probably did deal, you know, because we have a, there's a certain word about, uh, and I can't think of the the name for it right now, the word, but um, if a woman was uh, caught in an, like an adulterous relationship, right? Her husband had the right to like maybe cut off her nose. Um, so there was that type of situation every once in a while. But Comanche women had an extraordinary amount of agency. Um, so I think that 
the story of Naru really is the story of, of it could be the story of a Comanche woman um, in 1719. And we're keen observers of nature, right? And that's that's like Naru's superpower through the whole movie. Even her brother at one point says, you see everything, you see things I don't see. And I think that was something that was really wonderful about her character arc is that she she always believed in herself. And, mm-hmm. and I guess maybe misogyny wasn't even the right word, but she was she was experiencing some teasing and some mm-hmm. other stuff about stepping out of a role or, and stepping into a role that she wasn't expected to. Uh, but I think that she was able to watch everything and then calculate in her mind what she would do. Uh, it shows wonderful intelligence. It shows adaptation. It shows strength. It shows courage. Like, by far the most courageous uh, character. And I really liked the relationship that was there and that continued and that developed with her brother leading mm-hmm. to the point where he said, you know, basically it's going to be you now when he knew what was about to happen. Yeah. And, and that was a powerful moment because then he was basically showing belief in her and also sort of opening the door for like making a contribution anyways to her success. So thinking about the role of um, Comanche in this film and to have these characters that were, that were developed uh, in relationship with, with Comanche peoples, like what about the overdub process? Like once you got there, like I'm sure like similar things, we had a film that was done entirely in Haida. It's called edge of the knife. It's amazing. Especially when you consider that there's probably fewer than 20 Haida speakers that remain and so for us, like we'd love to do a film in Tlingit, uh, but it would be a huge challenge to get the actors to get up to speed with their pronunciation, to be able to commit to memory these lines and to be able to communicate things that sound authentic to us in terms of how we would do that. So I, I imagine the film was a huge, amazing journey and the dub was probably its own journey can you talk about that process i can um so i was uh actually working on the captions for the english version um and they wanted us all to go to la to work on the dub which would include the screen adaptation um so actually uh, so i was under orders not to fly at the time because i have a uh a cyst in the middle of my brain and it was uh, symptomatic, so we couldn't have any pressure changes. <laughs> uh, so they brought the entire production team to Oklahoma City. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, and Pixelogic Media has, was a fantastic, is a fantastic company. They supported it wholeheartedly. They had been involved in the dub of uh, Star Wars and Finding Nemo when it was in uh, Navajo, Diné. Uh, so they they thought this was a fantastic opportunity. So they didn't just send like a sound engineer, a dubbing producer. They sent the head of dubbing. They sent the head of sound engineering. <laughs> um, so they were very invested in this. Um, so we were there for three days. Uh, and so we they brought uh, me, uh, Guy Narcomi. Uh, so this is... Where it's a little weird with the Hollywood thing. So normally we would get our elders together, our elder speakers, 
um, and toss it around, figure out what we want to say. But Hollywood moves at a completely different speed. Um, so as the, the, you know, the two uh, probably youngest conversationally proficient speakers, uh, we felt it was a good compromise to bring the two of us together to work on the screen adaptation uh, for the Comanche and to uh, actually record the guide tracks as well for the actors. Um, so Guy is a very, he has a very free at attitude about our language. Um, it's about feeling and um, I'm very much the opposite. I'm very uh, analytical about our language. I want it to be right. I have that linguist brain. Uh, so, and like, right is in terms of like grammatical. I want our people to hear grammatical input. Right. And uh, so I think, it, you know, we actually worked very well together as a team and uh, we could see what we wanted to do. So like I would say, I want to say this here and I'd say, well, that doesn't work. If we would say it this way, what do you think about that? And you go, yeah, I like that. What do you think about this? Um, so we were able to come up with that, that adaptation, uh, which was also important to keep it like uh, there are certain things in the English version we wouldn't say in Comanche. Right. Um, right. So we were able to say, okay, well, we would say it this way and let's keep it that way. So that actually got so like those true Comanche moments got biggest laughs because we were like, yes, in the audience. Um or moments where uh, there's a scene where she says, you don't know that I'm killing you. Oh, wow. And in English, it's okay. Uh -huh. But when I recorded the guide track and we had figured out we, we, exactly what we wanted to say, and we get to that end part where she says, big guy, you. And it was like the whole room, you could hear everybody go, oh, that's it. Wow. <laughs> so it was, um, and then getting things in there like our old people say. Uh, women say yeah men say yay it's kind of like that filler sound mm -hmm. um and then things like oh yeah Ugh. um so hearing those little things that truly make it comanche were really important i'm not sure if i answered your question but <laughs> no that's great that's wonderful and and i think like when you think of building a language movement, one of the exciting parts is that there are experiences that those who speak the language or learn to speak the language, they get these additional experiences. And for a lot of our people, because we've gone through so much trauma, sometimes they'll say, oh, you're keeping that from me. Where it's sort of like, no, we're actually, we're inviting you here to come and to be this and to see this so that if you can speak Comanche, then the English version is going to hit differently and then the Comanche dub version is going to just be in a whole other universe in terms of what you get to experience. And so I'm very, very excited and happy that that, that has happened and that that's something that your people have now and that your language community has. And it just, I'm, I'm thinking it's going to generate a lot of excitement and interest and for folks to think, wow, there's this whole thing. And, and then it, there's, it links to these other opportunities and these other types of of adventures and so it's amazing it really is i think um i hadn't watched the english version for about six weeks um because of working on the dub for so long and when i went back and had to do the the final captions i watched the english version and i, I just thought to myself well this is odd it doesn't seem right anymore 
um, and then watched the Comanche version again, and I was like, this is how it should be. <laughs> That's how it should be. That's how we should make it. We'll be right back. Good night, What's happening, baby? This colonization shit got you down. You gotta get on this decolonization groove, yeah. It's time for language revitalization all across North America. The land of the language coming back into the hands of future generations where it all belongs. Rise up and have your voices be heard. Defeat all the colonial forces that try to hold you down. Do you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach? Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant. Just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash iHeart. That's lifelock.com slash iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. And, and yeah, and that the film takes it like we are in this just barely pre-contact universe which i thought was very uh very it's a great choice it was a great choice in terms of placing the story because then the comanche peoples are encountering this alien and then they're encountering this whole other group of aliens which gets us to the french trappers and so <laughs> one of the things that uh i really enjoyed is that 
they just seemed pretty foreign to the whole thing. Because as a Native American who's grown up watching movies, like it's usually a story about white people. Like even Native American films historically are usually films about white people and, and they get, they just take over the narrative and to see like that, that didn't even come close to happening here was beyond relief. It was like, as I was watching the film, I thought, wouldn't it be wonderful if like they just got out of the film, right? And they did. And so it was sort of this thing where like, I kind of was like, boy, I hope this happens. And it absolutely happened. Um, so let's talk about these French trappers a little bit. So it was a very deliberate decision by the production team to not even translate the French with the captions. Um, and it's, it's, it, I have to go back and watch the English version and I, I have to make sure, but in the Comanche dub, there's very definitely, it's just French on the captions. So unless you speak French, you don't know what's going on. Mm-hmm. which is kind of a, that turnaround from old Westerns where they have them speaking whatever language and you don't know what's going on. Right. Then uh, you don't really know what the French trappers are doing. What, what is their purpose here? What's happening? And then uh, the thing that I love the most is not only do they disappear, <laughs> but when, when the, the captions are going through, you see like French trapper number one, and then he dies. French Trapper number two. And then he dies. And so that again is turning it on on its head when it would be like Indian number one. Or uh, what's the other caption thing that happens where they go like natives chattering? <laughs> like chattering, really? Yeah. And, and, and then you have, and so in this, in this particular scene, like this part where there were French Trappers numbers, whatever, are there. Uh, and I love that, by the way. But then, so they they capture her, and she's in a cage, and they're they're harassing her, and there's some kind of mildly traumatic moments with that, just with missing and murdered indigenous women, and the violence of white people against indigenous women and against indigenous peoples. Yeah. But then to see that she she gets out of not only does she get out of that, but the death their deaths. Uh, help her figure out what she needs to do to defeat this the predator yep and and the setup for me was okay there was this trap and so i thought okay there's gonna be white people here and they're probably gonna screw up a whole bunch of stuff that was just my expectation (laughs) and my expectation was met yeah and then and then there was the scene where she comes upon the buffalo and and for people who are from that you know i'm not from that area but i went to college in Minneapolis and I know lots of people who are who are from that region and to just think of how traumatic that is but then you know to see like there's a bigger scarier thing that's coming and so to, to have these things coming at the same time was such an interesting decision as far as a film goes and then to see her have a role in beating everybody it was just so satisfying to to witness this take place in this film yeah, it really was. And that buffalo, I'm like, spoiler. So if you haven't seen the film, don't listen right now. Um, uh, one of our apprentices uh, said, "Oh man, I thought it was the I thought it was the predator that killed the buffalo." And I was like, "That's what you were supposed to think." <laughs> First of all, <laughs> two predator's not really the bad guy here. 
Um, no. Yeah, it it was. Uh, it's that's you know when she's in that cage. I had that thought too. Like this could go terribly wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, also when she's in the fight with Wasape, right? Um, and they're having that fist fight outside with her own with those boys, right? The the Comanche boys. And I do think that that's an issue that needs to be addressed a little bit because of this violence against Native women. Um, I also think it's just it was a it was a way to show that Naru can just hold her own because she does like she holds her own against Wasape. She holds her own against the French trappers. Right. Um, And with the French trappers, there's that moment where you can see she has decided (laughs) at the end when she goes back to get Sadi. Yeah. Right. And then and to see like. I think she always had the intention of succeeding in the things that she does, but she's trying to get better at it. And she's trying to think about her own weapon technology and her techniques. And then to see her towards the end where she sort of, she just knows she has to. And then she absolutely executes with and shows incredible intelligence and courage and ability and physical strength, like to see all of those things and to say, you know, I have two daughters and uh, I want them to, to be able to see stuff like this, you know, when they're ready, like they, they, yeah. they're a little young for, yeah. for this, but when they're ready, like to see that, uh, that violence does not end native women, like native women can overcome violence, but then hopefully that leads to additional conversations about like, how do we collectively just do away with the amount of violence against native American women? And so I like that this, gives us these launching off points in a science fiction horror universe. Right. And so again, coming back to this idea that it doesn't always have to be the cowboy Indian sort of trope that, that we've seen over and over and over and that we can have this pre-contact film and then we can have this amazing story. And then we can talk about all these great things that happened in the film. And then what I want to talk about now is what's going on with you guys' language program? Like, what kind of things are you doing? Uh, because I'm hoping that the interest in this film will generate interest in your folks' languages, which will just sort of keep building momentum on what you folks have been doing. Yeah. So um, let me preface it all with saying, I think the opportunity, we're in the same situation that you mentioned earlier with like thinking about the number of first language speakers or first speakers. Um, so with fewer than, I think in 2017, we said 11, um, and that was a count by our museum and with, uh, COVID and just, uh, due to their age, uh, we are down to about five or six now. So, you know, the fact that Guy and I were able to come together and kind of put our brains together and come up with something shows that, uh, we can do that, right? Right. And we can be innovative. And um, so that has generated a whole bunch of interest in our young people. Uh, they want to know more about the language. They want to know how they can learn the language. They want to know uh, what they can do in order to help themselves learn the language. Um, and as the, the director of our language program, who has to think about the needs of all of our tribal citizens and descendants, Right. Um, 
you know, and we are spread all over the world. So uh, approximately 7,500 of us are in the seven county service area here. The rest are everywhere. We even have a family in New Zealand. So I'm thinking to myself, how do I get to them? How do I get them language resources? Um, first step, pray. <laughs> no. Um, so yeah, we, uh, with our 10-year plan, we are going to do three cohorts of adult immersion where it's a full-time job uh, to learn the language and to become conversationally proficient as well as to get the professional development to learn how to teach and be effective teachers. Um, so by the end of this, we should have graduated at least 24 people. Wow. Uh, we even have a partnership with our early child care where they're giving us two employees and still paying their salary mm -hmm. uh, so that they can be in the immersions and then go back and do a language nest at the end of the three years, give us two more employees. Uh, and Comanche Academy, our public charter school, uh, we have one of the, the teachers from there this round, and we'll probably have another one next next round. Uh, so we also have the public charter school, which this is our second year. Uh, they just started on Thursday, uh, and those kids are just soaking up the language. Um, so we're trying to get them as, much, uh, as many resources as we can. Uh, we have, uh, if you're familiar with ILDA, that the Miami tribe uh, designed. Oh, okay. It's a, a database and a dictionary. Oh, wow. And so with that, we can put in audio, video. Uh, so we we literally, because of capacity, uh, we only have one recording in the ILDA database, and it is the Pledge of Allegiance in Comanche. Oh, okay. So uh, the state law says that the kids at the academy have to say it once a week to the flag, but it does not state which language. Okay, well, that's a start. So, guess what? Uh, so, our children are spending time with that recording of Morrison Tomic era, and they sound like burst speakers. Wow. I mean, it's it's amazing. Uh, so, I can't, I even shared it with the National Breath of Life people, like Daryl Baldwin, uh, Jerome Viles, because with just that one recording, it has made such a difference. Um, I can't wait until it's full. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And it's so exciting to hear because you have to, you know, it's a it's a whole picture thing. You have to think about adults and creating speakers and the, a lot of that involves overcoming traumas and doubts and uh, avoidance and a lot of things like that. And then dealing with children and then you have different, some of the complexities there are just teaching children all the time, which can be exhausting and fulfilling and uh but then you see fewer sort of emotional uh and sometimes spiritual barriers that's my experiences with children as so they just start talking yeah and they're they're absorbing the language but your adults i think one of the things that we've dealt with in our region is the idea that there's some adults who say i wish i would have learned it when i was a child and and i can understand that because it's absolutely you know that would have been wonderful uh, but I just want to make sure that adults know that mm -hmm. they have the same opportunities to learn as children. It's just they take a different flow. They sort of start a little slower and then take off, yeah. where children take off and then kind of slow down once you start getting them into the complexities of yeah. the grammar and stuff, which is very fun for some of us, but very scary and challenging for others. <laughs> yeah, no, it truly is. And I think that's, you know, in a lot of communities, not just ours, we often forget the adults. 
um, we think about the elders and getting information from them. And then we think about the kids. And I've even heard say, well, the kids are the future of the language. Well, yes, they are. But what happens if we concentrate all of our energy on the children? We lose those elders that we have. And then we've lost that opportunity to bring adults up to speed to fill in the gap. Yeah. And and the kids need people to talk to, right? When they go home so that they can just realize like it's a whole thing. The language is a whole thing and the language is a living thing. It's a changing thing. It's a, you know, we're going to have to modernize our languages, which is, can be a, a real challenge because some, some folks, uh, they get angry if you start sort of changing the language, but the ways that you probably want to change is to be able to talk about things that the language has been excluded from, sciences and art history, mm-hmm. the, the, a whole bunch of stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah. So um, along with those projects, we also, uh, uh, well, during the pandemic, we switched to online classes and we didn't really want to start classes that soon, but because of what had happened with covid we switched to online very quickly. Uh, so we have an elder who's 96 years old uh, who uh, lives in Albuquerque. Her daughter is her caregiver. And uh, she, since June of 2020, she has been on Zoom with us 8 to 10 hours a week. Wow. So she and I are kind of like the dream team. Uh, so I'm able to facilitate, do language planning, uh, and just allow her to focus on the language and facilitate for her. Um, so we've seen like real acquisition happening even over Zoom. Uh, so when I turn off the prompts, uh, people have been able to have a whole conversation for the first time in like 40, 50 years. Uh, so I can't wait until this fall. We'll probably start some in-person classes, continue the Zoom classes. Um, and truly see it take off, uh, especially for adults. Um, continue some family language classes at the academy where they even the I'm like the kids are going to be the teachers, <laughs> bring their families and let them, you know, be the ones to teach them the games. How we, you know, and I, game learning. I cannot stress it enough. Make it fun, make it practical, and uh, internalize the language right away as you do it. No translations, just doing it, and uh, mm-hmm. that. That's going to be super exciting. Um, And then lastly, uh, there are so many other things we're doing. Uh, The most important that I can think of is that uh, the audio, uh, the what's the word I'm looking for, software that we use for the dubbing is called Voice Cue. And that uh, is just like karaoke. (laughs) Yay. So... It was a software that was developed in, um, was it Ataria? Is that how I would say it for New Zealand? Oh, Aotearoa. Uh, Aotearoa, thank you. Mm-hmm. And um, so it was actually de- developed for uh, Te Reo Māori. And so they, they used it for dubbing shows. Uh, it's kind of become the industry standard now for all dubbing. Oh, wow. And kind of lost its indigenous roots. <laughs> Um, and so that's what we used to do pray. And so it's literally, it, it looks like just like karaoke, how you would see it on a screen. Uh, cause in the past you had to like put it, put in stuff and actually do the timing. Or if you didn't have any timing at all, just kind of put it up there and hope it matches. And you end up with like Gojira, uh, stuff like Godzilla movies where it doesn't match up at all. Oh, right. 
So with this, you can physically make the text bigger, smaller for timing. It has a little line that'll go across the words, just like in karaoke. Um, so we were able to write out the Comanche, record the guide tracks, the actors would practice. Then we would um, play the guide track. Uh, or if one of us was on Zoom with the actors when we were doing the dubbing, we might say it for them, give feedback. Um, but by, by having that little uh, stream of text, it takes care of most of the issue. Um, so, And they are willing to uh, reach out to people. And so, like, for instance, they, they would be willing to give us a license. And then that way, knowing what I know from dubbing prey and the only thing you really truly have to match up is labials oh okay the reason the reason being you see them oh right yeah right because the lips are touching um as long as that is lined up really well you have a lot of wiggle room oh that's amazing so we'll be able to dub whatever we we want (laughs) yeah let's start dubbing all the films in our languages i would love to do that We've already done several uh, reenactments of scenes from Pulp Fiction, mm-hmm. uh, Cheech and Chong, Up in Smoke, uh, and a whole bunch of other things. And so it'd be wonderful. And as I look at Hawaiian and Maori and uh, Navajo and the amazing things that they're doing, we have so many Star Wars fans who uh, are learning Klingit that we would just love an opportunity to do all, I don't know what we do with the grammar of Yoda. Everybody always asks me, like, is Yoda's like grammar like clink? I'm like, no, it's not. It's not like Klingit. It's just. It actually is like Comanche. <laughs> okay. Okay. We're ready. Let's bring on Comanche Yoda. Right? Let's get it going. Comanche, hey, Comanche Yoda. baby Yoda. Like, who wouldn't love oh, that? So, that the pop culture thing, right? I can't stress it enough. If we do things that people can immediately talk about and use, they're going to use it. Um, so anything that we can do with pop culture, which is why I love the fact that Prey is in Comanche. Uh, but also it was funny because, uh, I did a series of like little pop culture memes. And one of the first ones I did was Arnold Schwarzenegger from the first Predator movie saying, get to the chopper, chopper. But he's saying it in Comanche. One of my friends did the voice and it's like, Yotsa etakumiya. And, uh, and then we just happened to have a Predator movie in Comanche. What? <laughs> oh, fabulous. That's wonderful. Uh, well, as we start to wrap up our conversation, I, I want to say to you, uh, I admire you. I admire your work. I think a lot of this work also involves facing and overcoming and dealing with lateral violence and attacks from our own people and communities And I think you've handled that very well in the times that I've seen that happen. And I hope that that does not happen to you anymore. And that it's just, we focus on the speaking and the the building back the nations and the creating opportunities for the next generation of speakers and taking care of people who are, who are hurt. A lot of our people are hurt. And so I'm really, um, I'm just so happy to see the work that you're doing and the impact that it has. So I guess if I wanted to learn Comanche, where would I go? How would I start? Sure. Uh, We have a website at talkcomanche.org. There's some interactive lessons. We have some eBooks that I'm going to be adding soon to that. Uh, You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, So we do have videos and a YouTube channel. Just type in Comanche Nation Language Department. 
and then finally, uh, this fall, we will be releasing uh, some of the 7,000, uh, we're working with 7,000 languages. So we'll be releasing uh, some lessons in Transparent Language Online, which you will also be able to find at talkcomanche.org. That's amazing. Uh, I'm on the board of 7,000 languages, so I'm really excited that that's happening. And I've heard about it, and we're going to do a future episode with some of the folks that are over there. So, Gunnachish uh, Klein, thanks for hanging out and for spending some time with us. Tell us about your experiences on this amazing film. Go see it. Uh, check out Comanche Language. Check out everything that Auntie Doc Kate is doing, because you're doing <laughs> amazing, wonderful stuff. Uh, you told me that name comes from the school, so I figured I would use that those kiddos all call me auntie doc and i love it so much like like my heart wonderful so thank thank you so much for having me oda um and uh i you know i i look forward to your future shows because this is so important once i thought about a million birds all around the world sharing their songs Thinking about the ways they have lived and they're gonna live. And this is the way. Do you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach? Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant, just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. Today, more than ever, we're all looking for ways to save, especially on medical bills. But where do you start? Unless you're a medical billing expert, finding savings can seem impossible. And who has the time? HealthLock can help. HealthLock is a healthcare technology company that securely connects with your family's insurance and reviews your medical claims as they come in from your healthcare providers. Then, HealthLock's technology flags and alerts you to any errors like overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud to help you and your family save. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save more than $130 million. Saving on medical bills starts with knowing where to look. HealthLock makes it easy to find and fix hidden medical bill errors. To save, visit HealthLock.com. Do it today before you see another health care provider. 
Gynal chi sio eil ta cat iu hon. Clach ya Joey Clift ha in Welcome everyone. I'm so excited to have Joey Clift here with us and to talk about the film Prey and to talk about indigenous storytelling and the future and the past and the present, all these exciting things that are going on. So I will uh, ask Joey to introduce himself. Uh, yeah, hey everybody. Uh, my name is Joey Clift. I'm a comedian, TV writer, and old Khaled's Indian tribal member. And I'm so uh, happy to be on this podcast. Thanks a ton for having me. Uh, excited to talk about all things Prey and just, I guess, native Hollywood stuff. It's going to be a fun combo, I'm sure. So exciting. Uh, I first heard you on the Daily Zeitgeist, and then I was really excited to hear an, a Native American guest on there. Started following you on Twitter, started seeing your work, seeing what you were uh, doing, and it's really exciting to see the things that you're involved in, your comedy, your writing, uh, your advocacy for, you know, for animation writers. And so let's just jump into this film, uh, Prey. I guess I would start with uh, your initial thoughts reactions why should people see this do because some people might not even know about it uh okay uh first off uh always good to meet a member of the zeit gang so thank you very much um and uh other than that uh yeah prey is it's just um it's uh the latest installment of the predator franchise which um features uh, you know the the predator alien creatures from the predator franchise uh in the 1700s uh hunting uh members of the comanche nation in a uh, comanche territory uh, and it's uh, truly an incredible movie for a million reasons. I cannot give it enough a glowing enough review. As a Predator film, uh, it, it's a really um, back-to-basics look at storytelling. It's a very focused story about um, the main character played by Amber Midthunder and um, her quest to um, really do her rite of passage in her tribe and um, you know all the things that you run into in the way of doing your rite of passage, which... The right of passage that she's chosen is murdering a predator alien, which is, you know, probably a tougher one. She could have chosen like a badger or something, but no, she went just straight for the top. <laughs> and, um, you know, so it, as a predator movie, it's a very focused movie on this story. It's, you know, the, the, um, in terms of just storytelling, the, the setup and payoff of everything that happens in this movie as to explain to us how, you know, a character like, you know, Amber Midthunder's character could eventually kill a you know seven and a half foot tall predator creature is just amazing and it's just it's just very well done filmmaking it's very well directed um i was actually invited to the hollywood premiere of this movie it's exclusively on hulu um but i was invited to the hollywood premiere a few weeks ago to watch it you know a packed theater full of native folks and um you know it's just it's just such a great theatrical experience like the cinematography is great the um the the score is great um the you know the sound design is great and then, you know, that's just even the movie side of it is that it's it's such a good movie that, um, you know, the Predator franchise has been around since the 80s. And um, a lot of the conversations people are having around it is like, this is the best Predator movie since the first Predator starring Arnold Schwarzenegger. But like, it also might just be the best Predator movie, like, period. Yeah. And like, I would agree with that. Like, I guess what, what was your feelings of just as a movie? How did you like it? Yeah, that, that's what I would think. So I, I think uh, going back to Predator, that's certainly one from the days of my youth, uh, going back to uh, you know mid-1980s and, and the Predator comes out. And then I think in the Predator, there's like a Native American character, like Billy. And, and I was excited by that, right? To say, hey, look, there's like a Native American 
character. And, you know, he didn't have anything, I think, about him in that film that I remember as being uh, problematic. <laughs> Sometimes Native <laughs> American a, characters are... This is a are... high bar that we're trying to cross. It's just... He wasn't... Right. He, didn't, he didn't make my skin immediately crawl. <laughs> <laughs> like, nothing, like, I saw that was really horrible. But then, you know, he's... Uh, he doesn't make it, right? You know, yeah. So I don't want to spoil the original Predator, but um, he didn't make it. And so, but then to have something where the whole thing is about the Native American, you know, experience, just in terms of not being a backdrop to a film, but being the film. And then to have a number of, I thought there was some really well done moments in this film where they set up a lot of things for the, the main character their character arc and also preparing them for the the conflict. And, and there were times where it felt like she was being uh, almost like the, the predator, the monster is waiting for her to be ready for this sort of challenge, which seems to be sort of a kind of a hallmark, I guess, for some of the predator films as it's looking for kind of a challenge. That's what it feels like. It's trying to like go find someone who can, who can be the apex predator that they are. And then so it's it's sort of like this battle arena sort of mode of storytelling. And I think what was really working for me here was that she was trying to overcome some of the things, like just some interesting sort of pushbacks of being a female hunter. And so to see that uh, what ends up being victorious in this film is Native American female energy. And I was all about that, to see, like, she would be the one that steps up, and then she, there's a number of different moments that I really liked that, you know, she's preparing and she's doing some stuff that ends up benefiting her in the end and allowing her to, to ultimately be triumphant. And in case, you know, there's no spoilers because we know what kind of film this is. And um, as soon as I saw a meme going through Twitter, which said, uh, I think it was fry bread predator tacos, <laughs> I thought, you know, <laughs> I need to see this movie. And so for me, it, the payoff was wonderful because it came out and then we immediately, we were on our way to a Thinget language immersion event where we didn't have internet and we were also so tired at the end of the day, spending our days in the language that I actually, I got to sit and wait anxiously to see it. And, and it paid off in every way uh, that I hoped it would, including a dubbed version in Comanche, which is incredible. Yeah, th this movie, um, yeah, a couple things that I, I also saw the same. Yeah, it's a predator, Comanche predator meat Indian tacos <laughs> uh, meme. And like seeing that, I'm, I'm uh, going to Santa Fe Indian Market next week, and I'm really excited about it. And if I can't, if I can, if if there's nobody at Santa Fe Indian Market that's selling predator meat Indian tacos for like fifty bucks each <laughs> and just a little green food coloring on them, so it looks like predator blood, then we messed up because that's like what a what a thing that I I would spend fifty dollars on that kind of Indian taco. Yeah, there is some kind of hatch chili glow in the dark sauce that just needs to be made. This it's just the predator sauce you're gonna be putting on everything now. Yeah, and it's just what a like what a good like I would I would buy that at a markup at like any native event, you know? And um and you know, like you mentioned there's a Comanche dub of this movie, and like 
you know, this is also this is the first ever major motion picture in the history of Hollywood to star a native woman like Ember Thunder, who just kills it in this amazing role. Um, it's also, uh, you know, the first major motion picture in Hollywood to have like a largely native cast. Like, uh, you know, there's there's just so much going on and so much to love about like just, you know, like how native this movie is from an authentic place. And a lot of that is definitely to thank, um, you know, Jane Myers, who's a producer on the film. Um, who is a member of the Comanche Nation, who just made clearly made sure that like all the indigenous stuff was really spot on. And then her being like a high level producer that was brought on early on. She also made sure that, you know, there's like native folks in pretty much every department on the movie. They they went so far as um, even having um, like intern spots available for, uh, you know, younger native folks that want to kind of like work in films and learn how these different departments work. So like it really feels like a movie that, you know, like it was directed by directed by Dan Trachtenberg and then written by Dan Trachtenberg and uh, another writer who are, uh, you know, both non-native people. But it feels like they, though the story was written by non-natives and directed by a non-native, it feels like they really worked to make the rep- native representation right and really empowered, you know, Jane Myers, the right people to be able to do that in a real way. So it's just like, you know, like as a movie, this is 10 out of 10 stars. Native representation wise, this is 10 out of 10 stars. It's just like, I mean, it's amazing. It's like, it's a movie everybody should watch, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And so it, it's on Hulu. You need to go see it. You need to check it out. It's called Prey, P-R-E-Y. And and for me, I think, like, I've always really been interested in film. Uh, you and I have both written for television. And, you know, and so my backdrop is always like, thinking about film in terms of a writer, in terms of a storyteller, and also just in terms of witnessing something that I've always been around, which is film and television. And for a long time, Native Americans could only be the background, right? Just the background characters, just the background, even uh, films that were pretty monumental, I think, in terms of Native American film, like Little Big Man and Dances with Wolves and... uh, a more recent one like Wind River, like I think when you initially see it, it's it's fabulous because you get to be in this world that is familiar. Even if you know I'm I'm Shinget, I'm Haida, I'm Yupik, and so it's not always completely familiar, but it it is it's there. It, it's it's parallel to the universe that that I know, and so to see that and and to have these films that historically, like I would just think this is so wonderful and amazing. In a lot of ways they were these earlier films that broke some ground. But then what was the common narrative for me was there's two, there's white people who fall in love in the backdrop of native Americans and they get to survive. They're the ones who survive and you don't know how, you know, the other ones probably aren't, or, you know, it's hinted pretty strongly. They might not. And so to have this, to say, like the main arc, the character arc, is is this Native American woman who's powerful, who's courageous, who who does things, who takes initiative, and uh, doesn't need to be saved. Like there's so many things to love about those qualities of the film, and, and I think you're absolutely right where they nailed it in terms of representation and and having a film to say this is a predator film, and it's a Native American film, and to to sort of move out of the classic sort of uh, cowboys, sort of Indian kind of trope that that's out there quite a bit, which I think the fast runner did quite a bit to push things forward in terms of saying, well, you could have stories that are about Native American people and not just taking place where Native American people are around there. 
Yeah, like this is the like prey. It's not trauma porn. It's not like a white savior story. It's just like a badass native woman kicking ass and beating up a predator, you know. And it's like, <laughs> and and it's also like, I, I, I guess that for me, what was so cool about this movie, and like, I think that why that that meme, the the Comanche predator meat Indian tacos, you know, it's funny, but it also like struck me on I think like a really emotional level of like like now like if you're a native kid you can watch that movie and think oh i could beat up the predator like you know it's just there's such a there's such a level of pride of like if i was a member of the comanche nation i would be talking about how like i would be having a predator severed head beaded bolo tie made right now <laughs> like i'm not i'm, I'm Calitz, but we're you know pacific northwest and i still might do that <laughs> like you know it's just it's just so cool it's just like to see a film, you know, like a sci-fi action horror movie where like native people get to be the heroes who survive at the end is just like, you know, it's like, it's like cool as a movie, but it's also like, that's just something I've very rarely, if ever seen in movies before in my, you know, decades of life being obsessed with movies, you know? Right. Yeah. And, and so Let's there's uh, let's talk about these um, backdrop characters then. Uh, yeah, so like I'm I'm watching the film, I'm taking it in, I'm just loving the the steps that it's taking in terms of the setup and getting us there, and you know, dropping hints that here comes the predator. But then there's a part where uh, the dog gets stuck in a trap, and then as soon as I saw the trap, I thought, uh oh. I bet you the white people are going to screw everything up at some point. And, and then we get a scene, which I think would hit for people who understand Native American history and who probably are Native American. I think it would hit differently to see this field of buffalo and, and just right. to say, okay, I know who did that. And I know what we're looking at here in terms of destruction and mayhem and uh, just the amount of um, horror that came upon Native American people from contact. Yeah. And like that, that was also something that I think going into the movie, I was curious how, you know, like if it was going to deal with colonization before, you know, I don't know, I don't know a ton about Manchu history specifically. So I don't necessarily know when their contact happened, but I think that it actually was the movie takes place in 1719. And I think contact was like 1718 or something like that. So, um, you know, this, I, I wasn't sure if it was going to feature that, and that they had this, um, you know, uh, this uh, camp of French trappers, um, you know, I was a little bit worried of like, oh, is this movie going to like really be about them? And like the native people are really more fighting them than the colonizers. And then, you know, very quickly, the French trappers just become cannon fodder for Amber Midthunder and the Predator. <laughs> and it's just like, oh, hell yeah, this rules. <laughs> like, And, you know, like, like I said, I saw this at the premiere. Um, I, I saw this, you know, in our, the first time I saw this was in a room full of native people. And, you know, the, there's, there's an amazing scene where um, Aaron Midthunder's character and Dakota Beaver's character are, you know, tied to a tree. Dakota Beaver's character, you know, was slashed on his chest, similar to how Billy's character was slashed in the, Predator, in the first Predator movie right. to kind of act as bait for the Predator. Um, you know, in the uh, original Predator movie, the Billy character made his own choice to do that with Machete. In this movie, the French Trappers did it to Dakota Beaver's character to make him bait for the Predator. And, um, you know, like while they're tied to the tree, the predator just goes through and massacres all these French traders. 
And, uh, you know, what a crowd pleasing moment for all the native people in the room. We all, you know, we were immediately like, ah, oh, predator, you're an uncle. <laughs> like, and then, you know, that's immediately followed by a scene where they get free. And then Amber mid thunder's character just like murders a bunch of French trappers on her own to show that she's, you know, of equal power to the predator at this point. And once again, Amber mid thunder massacring a bunch of French trappers. Once again, what a crowd pleasing moment. <laughs> cheers around practically a standing ovation from a room full of native people watching that rad scene yeah and and so from a perspective of being an advocate for ending missing and murdered indigenous women and then she gets you know captured uh there was a point i was watching it with a friend of mine his name is shakao ish and we were talking through the there's just two of us uh and so it was a native american screening in our living room and, and as we're talking about it, I said, okay, if all these white people get killed uh, because they did this to the buffalo and they yeah. captured this woman, they're being very mean and nasty. I said, this might be the greatest film I've ever seen <laughs> if that happens. And so uh, there was uh, several moments in the film where I thought, okay, if this thing, this is what I hope happens and those things happened, which I, I think is a neat balance when you're doing, uh, when you're writing, when you're making a film. Because to make something that does what folks might hope it does, but not in a way that's predictable, you know, it is, it's a delicate balance. And I was really happy with the way everything played out in terms of what's going to come back into uh, maybe the final, you know, the battle scene near the end. And then also like how it's going to come into play and how she was going to study and realize. Because one of the things that she had to do and that she was talking about through most of the film uh, was that, as you said, like going through and getting her first successful major hunt, which was going to be the predator. And so uh, as she sort of, she, there was an early scene where she tried to get this bunny rabbit and, and she couldn't get the rabbit, you know, but then as she's con- continually looking and studying what she needs to do to be- get better, like watching all, all these French trappers get, uh, killed by the predator helped her because she could watch them and she came up with ideas on what she needed to do to win. And I, I think that that's something I really appreciated about Amber Midthunder's character in this film is you're really, you're one, she's a character that's playing everything to the top of her intelligence. Um, she's just like a very strong, capable, resourceful native woman. And like everything that she does to beat the predator you know, at the end of the movie is all set up earlier in the movie, you know, from the point of like, you know, uh, her using the, um, the orange petal flower to, um, give first aid to, um, her brother's friend who got mauled by the cougar. And then when she does it, like he, you know, has a bad reaction to it. And she just says like, Oh, don't worry. It's just cooling your blood. And then at the end of the movie, she uses that when she realizes, Oh, this thing can see thermal vision. If I eat this flower, I'll be invisible to it. You know, see uh, her realizing, um, you know, the, the three dots on the predator's um, helmet are basically what the, the, the wrist spears from the predator use to track. So wherever that's pointing is where the spears are going to eventually home in and end up at, um, you know, like realizing the predator's primarily in the trees. So if you put spikes on the trees, that's going to like mess the predator up. You know, even when she almost drowns in that uh, mud pool, like she like realizes like, oh, there's a mud pool here that like would trap the predator if it stepped into it. And like it, it was just so cool and so like satisfying as a viewer to see this character, like I said, play everything just at the top of her intelligence and everything that she does to beat the predator at the end is like 
something that she like earns and learns over the course of the movie. Yeah, and and we had a fabulous time watching it because we had just come out of this five day language immersion ourselves, and then we get to watch this, and, and we're flipping back and forth between the the English version and the Comanche version, just because we're so so in awe that that can happen. And we're so excited about the potential of having films that are in Tlingit and that are in additional uh, Native American languages and to say, like, this can absolutely work. And so one of the things that I really liked was when uh, she kicked the, his, his helmet off, that, and we were calling it the Shadanuku, uh, which would be a pretty good word for a helmet. And so we were sort of yelling at the movie in Tlingit as they're talking in Comanche and as the Predator is making... You know, the, it has a language itself. And then the the French, like they didn't translate the French. And, and so there, there were some really neat multilingual moments that were going on in the film that I really did enjoy. Uh, and as we sort of look in, and look at, you know, we're going to have some conversations with Comanche language teachers and speakers and consultants on the film. But I was just so impressed at the way they integrated culture and language and, and to make it... Uh, this experience that feels as authentic and that was a predator film, right? And so it follows the same arc of, of what a predator film would, where, where you know, they're going to encounter people, they're going to wipe a bunch of people out. One person will emerge as the one who takes on and, and defeats the predator. And, and when she defeated it, it was absolutely so satisfying. Oh, yeah. these, these wonderful moments where she's just dominating everybody and everything and it was just so wonderful to see when and uh, specifically the end of the movie when she finally takes out the predator um there is a moment that like like what i appreciate about uh, one of the things i appreciate about this movie is that like um there are references to the previous predator movies but for the vast majority of them they're done to service the story and characters and not just thrown in as like an easter egg so, you know, the, the energy that um, if it bleeds, we can kill it is said in the first Predator movie is just kind of Arnold Schwarzenegger saying like 1980s bravado, right? Right. Whereas in this, it's like this really like intense and personal moment between a, sis- between a brother trying to convince her sister that if they work together, they can kill this thing. And, you know, it's just like the, just the emotion of Dakota Beaver's delivery of that line, which Dakota Beaver's, this is his first ever acting role, by the way. Yeah. It's just like something that I found myself like replaying in my mind for days after seeing it as just like a really great line delivery that like breathes new life into what was just kind of a throwaway 80s action line. Um, there are a lot of other, you know, really cool, um, you know, nods to the previous movies like um, the um, in the first Predator movie, it's um, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger basically leading an invading force to take over this country that he's not from. Um, whereas in Prey, it's the indigenous people of this country directly protecting their homeland from these invaders. So, like, it kind of inverses the relationships of the main characters and the, you know, kind of the stock villains. Um, to, even to the point that, like, the first shot that you see of Arnold Schwarzenegger in Predator is him smoking a cigar. And then in Prey, when Amber Midthunder's character comes across the buffalo, she sees a burned out cigar next to the buffaloes. And then she then sees the French fur trappers smoking cigars. So it's like, those kinds of things of like, oh, this is like an inverse or a bookend of the first Predator in a way that doesn't feel forced. It feels very earned with the situation. And like um, you were talking about the end of the movie, how everything was like really satisfying. There's um, 
the end of the the end of the first Predator movie, there's that classic moment where the where um, Arnold Schwarzenegger's trying to lure the Predator into the trap, and he's saying like, "Come on, do it, kill me, or whatever." <laughs> and then that was my A plus Arnold Schwarzenegger impersonation. <laughs> and then at the end of Prey, Amber Mid Thunder is trying to convince the Predator to walk into her trap, and she's saying, you know, essentially the, a similar thing, which is like, "Come on, come on, right. walk forward." But like what she's saying is in specific reference to what she heard earlier in the movie about what you're doing when you're um, uh, doing your rite of passage, which is saying to the beast, um, essentially, uh, you will step here and then step no further. Like, and then she does that and then lures it into the thing, which causes it to like shoot itself in the head with a spear. (laughs) Like, you know, and it's like, oh, it's like it's the same. It's like kind of it, it echoes back to what Arnold Schwarzenegger did in the first predator while also creating this amazing character moment where she's like truly reaching her rite of passage while referencing, you know, what she learned that will happen when she is about to reach her rite of passage, you know? Absolutely. And, and it was so, it was so great to see and to have these moments. You're, you're absolutely right with how it inverts a lot of things that I think were satisfying for native American uh, audiences and, and probably for a lot of folks. And so if I, I'll probably watch the predator again, and then I think Prey is going to be the top film for me. I, I just think it's so exciting to see this. It's so it's so inspiring to think of the the past, present, and future of Native Americans and film. And, and this is a podcast about Native American language revitalization, and, and language is featured in here. But there are also all these related subjects like representation and, you know, when Molly of Denali came out, I was able to show it to my children and just to think about them having representation in their lives, in, in media. And it was such a wonderful moment. And then to also have a series of, uh, just to see more and more shows and films, whether it's Rutherford Falls or Reservation Dogs, where the the universe of storytelling from Native American perspectives is continually expanding. And, and with that, like, I really appreciate you coming here to talk about Prey and so we can encourage folks to watch it. But I also, I want to talk a little bit about your work and what kinds of things you've been doing because those, there's some exciting things that are coming. Yeah, well, yeah, thank you. I, and I, um, just a, one more point I wanted to make about Prey, which I will, I think, be a natural good lead in into kind of more talking about the expanding of Native storytelling is, um, you were talking about specifically like language revitalization and like how Prey has a Comanche dub. Something that I, I think that like Native folks working in the en- entertainment industry can track, and probably Native folks who don't work in the entertainment industry can track, but like non Natives might not get is like the amount of like work that went into making sure that like the Native representation in Prey was like great. Like um, Jane Myers, the, the Comanche, um, member of the Comanche tribe who's a producer on the film. Um, she talks about in interviews how like, you know, like our languages oftentimes aren't written down. So like if she wanted to get like the translation on a word for the Comanche dub uh, of Prey, she had to like talk to her grandparents and tribal elders to get those words, you know? Um, I mean, it's to the point that um, there's a, a scene in the movie in Prey where um, a Comanche woman is carrying a baby on a cradle board in the Comanche village. And Jane Meyer's like, made that with her own hands to make sure it was like accurate wow and you know i'm sure that that's something that you probably experienced with you know writing on shows like molly of denali where it's like to for a lot of this information like 
you can't just like crack open a book and like read, you know, how to say words in Comanche in, uh, you know, in phonetic English or, you know, like how to get like, you know, the exact specifics of a really good Molly Tanali story. Oftentimes we have to like reach into our communities in a way that like, it's just a very like native way to do things. And I think it's really, it's really cool to see Hollywood kind of, um, understand and start to move at this and understand that they kind of have to move at the speed and pace of Indian country to get this stuff down in like an authentic way. I guess have you experienced that with shows like Molly? Yeah, yeah. And and so there's there's often a dialogue that goes on as well about uh being a PBS show uh and being a both a cultural consultant and an advisor or and a writer for Molly of Denali. Sometimes there's these conversations about what is relatable to the everybody and then what is you know specific that makes it authentic to being not just native american but being of a place and so in in the case of prey like it it must be comanche like it must be you can't just rely on these there's so many pitfalls of stereotypes and other things that exist in media because most historical representations are gross and are just terrible like you know of I just think of the Bugs Bunny films and, and or the shows and, and what kinds of Native American characters were in there and and on and on and on. And and so to have this shifting towards authentic voices, I think is really important. And to have uh in the English version, you have a lot of Comanche words that are in there in some moments that aren't even fully translated for the audience, which I think is wonderful. And then to have a whole dubbed version is just, uh, it's absolutely incredible. And then to see, like, the, the even with Molly of Denali, it, it started off with a lot of uh, indigenous advisors and white writers, and then it has, it's been transitioning to more and more Native writers who are getting into the room and who are telling some of the stories. And we have a, a good working group involved that... Sometimes when we have a story idea and we're sort of in the rooms talking about it, uh, they'll, they're very receptive if one of us says, okay, this has to be a Native person who tells this story. It's getting a little bit too, too close to home in terms of the things that we have gone through uh, with the suffering that has come from uh, Native American attempted genocide in America and, and just other things like that. And, but there's other times, too, where it can become a collaboration and it's a, just such an exciting time to be doing this kind of work. Yeah. And I, I think that like what I've noticed in my career is I feel like over the past few years, non-natives in the entertainment industry have started to like listen when native people say stuff like that. Like when we say like, um, you know, we have specific needs for writing something or, you know, in casting the actors for something, I feel like. Hollywood for a long time just didn't take the advice because they were like, that's hard. Or like, we don't know how to do it. But now like, I feel like native people are being like listened to in real ways. And like the advice is being taken, like people take the note and like, you know, that's, that's something that I've um, definitely noticed in my career in that um, I moved to Los Angeles in 2010 um, after graduating college to be a, you know, comedian TV writer and, um, you know, like I've worked on a lot of stuff. I've um, written on a lot of, um, you know, different projects. I wrote on a relaunch of Looney Tunes in uh, 2015. I've done a lot of, you know, digital stuff with um, websites like Nerdist and um, uh, like, you know, uh, Funny or Die in different places. And, um, you know, I, I think that 
for me, like, I feel like whenever I would pitch native stories up until fairly recently, like that story would never get picked because it was just like the person that I'm pitching it to is not native and has probably never talked to a native person aside from me ever in their life, you know, you know, that they know of. Right. And like now I'm feeling like, you know, Hollywood is understanding the value of native stories. And also they understand that they have to tell those stories with us, you know, so like um, I'm currently a writer consulting producer on a show called Spirit Rangers that's coming out on Netflix in the next couple months. And um, that's uh, the first ever kids TV series in the history of U.S. animation created by a native person, the genius UMass TV writer, Chris Valencia, with an all native writers room, native actors playing native characters. And, um, you know, it's been just such a great experience because like every I've been writing on the show for about two years. And, um, you know, every morning I jump on a Zoom with other native people and we can really hash out like the the nuance of what we're trying to say with these stories and these characters and, uh, you know, in addition to that, like I mentioned, um, you know, Jane Meyer is doing a lot of work specifically with her tribe to like, you know, give, get, you know, the pronunciations of different words and stuff like that. Like with um, our tribe, uh, it's it's about a, a native family that we we decided to make them a mixed tribe family. The mom is Shumash and the dad is Cowlitz, which is my tribe. And um, we received the blessings of our tribes to do that. Like I pitched to my tribe's tribal council. I pitched to our culture board and, um, you know, politely asked and they voted on it and, you know, had questions. And, you know, so we've really been working hand in hand with our tribes to make sure that, you know, like if we use, you know, Shumash or Cowlitz words in the show that like we have, you know, uh, voiceover recordings from elders um, giving us those pronunciations so we can give those to the actors to make sure that that's accurate. Like, and, you know, it's been really cool to know that we're, you know, doing our best to do it the right way. Cause I feel like, you know, for, for me, like with a show like that, where like the family is, you know, half Cowlitz and even just that being, you know, the first ever kid show created by a native person with an all native writers room, I'm like fully aware of that. I need to do right by my people, you know, and by my people, I don't just mean Cowlitz people. I mean, just like native people who have probably not seen a ton of native kid shows other than Molly of Denali, you know? Um, and you know it it does feel like uh i like i feel like people call this um you know a moment in native storytelling which like i don't like because like it's ideally going to be longer than a moment you know ideally this is but i think i like i i think that i'm gonna from now on use how you you described it which is like this is um an expansion of native storytelling in the mainstream media you know and it is really cool to be, you know, as, as I'm sure you relate, like, you know, a, a small part of that expansion, somebody who's able to, you know, see and tell these stories from the inside. Yeah, absolutely. And and it's it's so exciting because it's it's a growing movement with more and more content and more and more areas. And so there's there's comedy, there's drama, there now there's, you know, sci-fi and horror type of and so and and this these aren't the first and these these won't be the last as as we go forward and see more content and more writers it's so exciting just the other day uh, a native writer reached out to me and was and to a friend of mine Frank Katas who's a brilliant playwright and she was looking it was you know we're having this conversation about some trash talk for playing basketball and so native basketball trash talk that we're hoping will go into a show uh, and so the the conversation started with, we've got some trash talk in here, but it feels pretty flat. 
and then it just turned into the three of us just trash talking all <laughs> with each other and which was so fun and to think of how this could go in because sometimes as well like we can there's a lot of leeway in terms of how we sometimes make fun of each other and sometimes our own identities which can get a little sensitive in terms of like do we want to show everything oh yeah yeah for sure yeah those are conversations that are like maybe this is just an just a, a thing to save for my native group chats <laughs> like yep and so but it's fun to find where those boundaries are and to keep pushing them and to keep seeing more things happening because the doors are opening all over the place and i'm thankful for you for your work for your advocacy uh, and also for your advocacy for animation writers and, and making sure that there's some equity there in terms of what people are getting in these industries. And I appreciate you stopping by and spending some time with us uh, on the Tongue Unbroken. Uh, where can people find you, follow you, all that good stuff? Oh yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me. This was this was super fun. Um, I uh, You can find me on Twitter at JoeyTainment. You can find me on Instagram at JoeyClift with like five or six eyes. The reason for that's a 12 year old took Joey clipped with one eye and I just had a deal <laughs> and um, uh, things to promote. Um, like I said, you can check out uh, Spirit Rangers uh, when it drops on Netflix uh, later this year. Uh, it's a show I'm really proud of and excited about. And then, uh, yeah, check out Molly of Denali, which both of us wrote on and, uh, you know, and watch Prey. Follow every every native person who worked on Prey. Amber, Mid- Amber Midthunder, uh, Dakota Beavers, Jane Myers, the whole cast. Uh, follow them on Twitter. I didn't work on Prey. I just think that everybody should follow them because they're great, and I can't wait to see what they do in their careers. Um, and then, uh, and also, uh, yeah, I don't know, just like watch all these cool native projects. Reservation Dogs, Rutherford Falls. There's a ton of great stuff happening right now in native storytelling, and it's just so exciting to not just be a part of it, but just to like be able to watch it. Yep, fabulous. Welcome to Cheesh, Joey, and. Uh, Best of luck with everything. Absolutely check out all that content. Go see Prey if you haven't seen it already. Get your butt in the chair and check it out. And check out Spirit Rangers, which will be coming out on Netflix. And we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for coming. Yeah, we here to talk. What we predator glee at ha gachtu ha. We echat sakneena kuk. Gonna cheesh. Hugh Enoughkit, Dr. Kate Briner, Gulchish Joey Clift, Gulchish Takat Yohan Dusawe Pray Dot This has been the Tongue Unbroken. Gulchish for listening, Gulchish to our guests. Let's have some predator meat tacos, let's enjoy ourselves. Please check out other podcasts on the iHeart Media Next Up Initiative. Partition is coming out. Partition. Go Google it. Listen to it. Also check out Beauty Translated, Black Fat Femme. This has been The Tongue Unbroken, produced by Daniel Goodman. We'll catch you next week in Cheesh. Do you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach? Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? 
Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. What's up, y'all? Janice Torres here. And I'm Austin Hankwitz. We're the hosts of Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories, a podcast presented by iHeartRadio's Ruby Studios and Intuit QuickBooks. Join us as we speak with small business owners about the tools they use to turn their ideas into success. From finding that initial spark of entrepreneurship to organizing payments and invoices, we've got you covered. So follow and listen to Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.